the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Rob Black Podcast. Check out Rob every weekday morning from 10 to noon on 910 AM and Talk910.com. And now, Rob Black and your money. Call Rob, 1-800-345-5639. Here's Rob Black on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. the show off right today 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air 800-345-5639 june 23rd wednesday years 2010 so you know that this is a live show it's a show dedicated to money and money issues we could talk about the iphone Woo! it's here the new jesus phone's getting good reviews people love it some people got it a couple days early uh it's a dramatic step forward I'll talk a little bit about that and potentially maybe the stock as well that's tied towards shares of Apple, ticker symbol AAPL. Um, Some interesting stories out there today on new home sales plunge to a record low. Got to say, we kind of saw that one coming, and the market didn't much care for it. The government does something called subsidies. We grew up knowing and hearing stories that the government subsidizes like dairy farmers to throw away milk. Or the government subsidized corn farmers to, you know, plow plow under the corn and not harvest it. Kind of keeps the price of corn stable, keeps the price of milk stable. And, uh, you know, that keeps uh, the profits in the industry. We've heard about these and we go, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Farmers pay to destroy crop in a world that has hunger. Well, the housing issue, same thing. If you had bought a new home last year, you'd get an $8,000 tax credit. Now, again, now, why is that a subsidy? Think about it. person who's renting or even the person who owns a home before that, they don't get it. You get it for going out and doing it. So did it help? Did it boost? I think what it did was it pushed orders forward. But anyway, I'm totally getting ahead of myself. So uh, we got lots to talk about. Lots to talk about today. I don't want you to be shy. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. You watch that exciting World Cup this morning. You get up at 7 a.m. with me. Did you? Did you? USA in extra time scores the gold to send us into the round of 16. Very exciting stuff. In the world of soccer, in the world of the United States, this is our biggest win ever. This is the biggest day ever for soccer. In large part, we're, we're being taken a little bit more seriously. We won our group. Uh, we, we prevailed over England in our group. So now we wait till later today to see who we're going to play next. Will it be Germany or Ghana? Uh, it'll be exciting. It'll be exciting, and the world will start getting into this a little bit more. The United States, big day for soccer fans, so congratulations to those of you who grew up playing soccer, and you know, a, a nice day has come, so to speak. Let's talk a little bit about Wall Street and what we're seeing there. The Federal Reserve, what will they do with the benchmark interest rate? Some people think they're going to lower it. Some people think they're going to raise the interest rate sometime next year or the year after. A meeting taking place this morning. The stock market is trading in a very tight range in the opening. How tight is it? Remember those game shows? 
It would be like, sad Mary was so sad. And everyone would go, how sad was she? Uh, how tight is the market trading right now, you may ask? The Dow up four, NASDAQ down four, S&P 500 down three. So these are fraction moves, not very uh, big moves at this point in time. So the new home sales number uh, ended up being lower than anyone expected, even the worst of dire prediction. So here's the Fox News Radio's Chris Barnes in Washington to tell us more. To qualify for the homebuyer tax breaks, sales contracts had to be signed by April 30th. And it appears once that date passed, potential new home buyers headed for the exits. And May new home sales plunged, down a record 33% from the month before. And the level of sales was the lowest since the government started keeping such data in 1963. Yesterday, realtors reported sales of previously owned homes were also down in May, but only by 2.2%. In Washington, Chris Barnes... Fox News Radio. So, home sales are important in large part. How many homes do we sell? How many do we not? How many do we build? How many do we not? Building new homes uh, obviously creates jobs, uh, but it also creates more supply. If there's not demand, it, it could lower prices because there's too many supplies, and that gives you, the buyer, the opportunity to shop around and ask for discounts or shop around and get what you really want. So, uh, the data is important. Uh, I'm I'm a little tired of this at this point in time. Uh, home sales, I think, are going to be weak. I don't see a, a crazy incentive for new, uh, home prices anytime soon. I still think we're at least 2012, sometimes to 2015, uh, before home prices stabilize. I think home prices need the job market to stabilize, and the job market doesn't stabilize, get this, until 2012, 2015. So I think you're seeing private sector being absolutely ready to hire people. I think you're seeing the public sector still struggle. I mean, there's not a day where you can't go to local news and see this union's upset about having to take cuts or that union's upset about having to cut people or this union's upset about health care costs. So it, it's it's it, we're scrimping by on the public side. So it's going to continue to keep a bit of an overhang in the world of jobs. Elsewhere, Europe remains in deep economic trouble. Aside from the Greek tailspin and the subsequent bailout, there's some new belt tightening measures in some of the Eurozone economies. And to add to all this, Europeans themselves are taking to the streets to express their frustration. Fox News Radio's Phil Littner has got more from London. In Greece, angry transportation workers are on strike to protest the state of the economy, hitting the biggest industry in the Mediterranean country, tourism. In France, strikes are also scheduled at the end of the week. Here in the U.K., the new government just put forward their first budget, severe austerity measures. And the so-called Big Three, Britain, France, and Germany, all put forward new regulations and taxes on the banks. All throughout the Eurozone, economies, businesses, governments, and populations are reeling under new measures and schemes aimed at pulling the EU back from the brink. In London, Philitner, Fox News Radio. Again, I think there's a, a big debate going on right now of who's handling their economic crisis better. Is it Europe or is it the United States? Asia's got China, and China's still chugging, all things considered. So we don't really have to look at Asia in this, in this formula. But who's handling their crisis? And this, again, just shows you how South America is just totally ignored. The United States has never really had a good relationship with South America from a business standpoint. We kind of look at them as kind of like, eh, when you grow up, come talk to us if you want to talk economy. And they just we've never treated the South America with any sort of business respect. Anyway, I, I like what Europe's doing. I like that they're cutting back, you know, that 
England is uh, cutting back spending initiatives and cutting back uh, uh, what they've promised to the tune of the 1980s and Margaret Thatcher. That's sort of the slash and cut, sort of uh, cutting down the size of the government, smaller government, not bigger government, smaller government. So I kind of like what I'm seeing out of Europe right now. Uh, and that doesn't make me a, 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 tra- a, a traitor. It doesn't make me evil. Uh, again, you're seeing a big movement in the primaries this year. Uh, South Carolina was won last night by a, a woman who basically is saying, you know, I'm going to cut government. It's it's the Tea Party movement. It's it's starting to ring a little bit true. I think people are just frustrated with the way that our government continues to spend. So Greek bond yields uh, are showing sign of of of, of turmoil. Uh, there was a successful bond issue in, in in Portugal. So again, we're paying attention to to Portugal and Italy and Germany and, and Spain and, and seeing what's happening or not happening, as well as Ireland and uh, what sort of strength is coming out. So um, Europe is still problematic, and that, that that's kind of that's what Americans are stopping to think about with the stock market right now. We're not roaring higher because we're stopping and saying, "I'm a little bit nervous," and I'm a little bit rock and roll. Donnie and Murray, I'm a little bit country. Um, God, TV was so different back then, eh? Anyway, um, oil pits. And another big story yesterday, and this is just, it's, it, it bangs your head when you try to be an investor. And that's why sometimes it's it's smartest to say, I'm not going to play this game. Because there's too much politics going on right now. So for instance, yesterday we learned that um, basically a federal judge said, you know, President Obama's not allowed to put a moratorium out there. And, and today he's like, oh, yes, I can. And he's getting ready to issue another moratorium. So the one moratorium got overturned. Now the another moratorium, moratorium is going to be thrown out there. So it's really tough to figure out how to invest when you've got one day it looks open for business. Next day it looks shut down for business. Next day it's open for business. So we'll see. I think the next moratorium that comes out will be a little bit more angry and a little bit more solid. So um, I think it'll be tougher for a federal judge to overthrow. But I do think it's going to happen. Gold holding at 1215 ounce. Gold holding at 1215 ounce. Telling you there's really not a flight to safety going on. There's really not a, a panic feeling in any way out there. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Coming up, let's go for a cruise. We're going to talk a little Tesla Motors and the IPO that's coming out. I told you to do some research on it. I did. Rob Black and your money, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. This is Rob Black and your money on 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. And now, Rob Black. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. In a couple minutes, we're going to hear about President Barack Obama's decision Regarding the general McChrystalix, uh, McChrystal, and uh, what's going to happen? So McChrystal met with Obama this morning. He kind of left the White House before another meeting was started. Is he going to resign? President going to fire him? Is the president going to accept his resignation? Afghanistan, Karzai loves McChrystal. He's the type of guy. As far as the general goes, he gets into line. He's out there with his troops. He knows what's happening. What he said. Uh, disparaging and discouraging remarks about Obama and his team in the war. Uh, it's a shame that we're not allowed to have opinions in this day and age, and we have to look unified at all times. Uh, to disagree is, is a bad thing. I think arguing's great. I don't think arguing has to be you and I hate each other. 
I learned many years ago that an argument in math is just, you know, a set of numbers. And, you know, A plus B equals C, that's an argument. Why do we have to get so angry um, at each other? I don't get it. I don't get it, especially in a situation like this. If someone on the ground has an opinion of what's working better than someone, you know, 5,000 miles away, I think it should be able to be heard in some way, shape, or form. So let's talk Tesla. Vroom, vroom, vroom. An investment in an electric car. It's getting ready to come IPO at the end of this month. And I've already gotten a couple emails about it. Uh, people are dreaming, California dreaming, of you know the hot IPO again. I am about to give you my ideas on this. I've read the company's prospectus, and I could be wrong. Just keep that in mind. So Tesla, according to their own prospectus, is a company that's fraught with risk. They include, quote, very limited experience servicing our cars. So when it comes time for you to throw down forty, fifty thousand dollars and you hear that they have got no experience or limited you know, service fixing them, that's gonna make you a little bit nervous because for you know that when you a Honda certified vehicle or a Toyota certified vehicle, you know that if you take it into the dealer, that they do pretty good work. You know, I think you you feel that, or at least I do. So that's one big issue. Now, the sad truth that a lot of the range of these vehicles, it's got a propensity to decrease with usage. So let's say you buy a car that's going to get you 50 to 100 miles per gallon this year, but next year it's going to get you 45 to 95. The year after that, 40 to 90. So there's a propensity to see the usage decrease um, as far as mileage goes with the usage. So there's a distribution network that includes just 12 stores in the United States and Europe. Even though states, including Texas and Kansas, require manufacturers to deliver cars through dealerships. Um, So there's just not that many places to go to get service. So 12 dealerships in the United States and Europe, um, that means you're not going to sell a lot of cars. Or let's put it this way. Let's say I want a Tesla. I want, I want, I want. And uh, let's say I'm in Montana. Closest dealership in San Francisco. Are you really going to travel that far? to get a car and that far to get it serviced? That's a good question. Customers may, customers may be in short supply, and the track record of losses throughout their existence is, is obvious. So those are all the big negatives on the company's IPO. Now, it's safe to say that investors have rarely been so systemically warned. You know, a company selling stock to the public, they're, they're telling you, this is a dangerous investment. And a lot of what it's it's based on is based on hope that, you know, not just for a future of a single manufacturer, but, you know, for Wall Street to buy into a symbol of an approaching end to the world's dependence on oil. So you're talking about they're trying to raise $175, 180000000 million, and that's a lot of money for the hope that, you know, we can, you know, get vehicles that get great mileage. Tesla was started in 2003. Uh, they began to sell cars in 2008. They've sold about 1,063 Tesla Roadsters, its first car. It's since introduced two more cars. Uh, the company's generated about $148 million in revenue and $246 million in losses. They've got a deficit of about $290 million of money that they owe. That's not good. They seem to believe that they can turn in with the tide, though, with the introduction of a premium car, a Model S in 2012. Still, they're going to have all that debt to pay back, $290 million. So until they make $291 million, they're not going to be profitable. 
So now Wall Street will be able to spin it in a funny way. I'm talking about Tesla, the IPO, the electric car IPO that's getting ready to debut. Um, I'm not all that enamored with the IPO. I think it's pretty speculative. So I'm not totally negative, though. You know, one positive, the company has agreed to deals with some prestigious partners like Daimler. They've selected Tesla to supply 1,500 battery packs and chargers and to assist in the development of similar products for different vehicles. Daimler's affiliates hold more than 5% of Tesla's outstanding capital stock. Toyota has agreed to put $50 million worth of Tesla stock, you know, in the IPO. So cooperate on the development of electric vehicles to assist on the development of the Model S and to sell Tesla the Numi plant in Fremont, which would formerly operate in partnership with General Motors. So for about $42 million, ultimately remains very unclear whether the last you know, arrangement represents a curse or a blessing, though. Building cars in California is not exactly cheap. It's a state that's got a lot of taxes and a lot of ties to it. Now, what else is going well for Tesla as far as a potential investment is the Department of Energy. Basically, they've agreed to a $465 million long-term loan. So it's going to be a low-cost loan of which Tesla's only drawn about $45 million. So they got access to tons of cash. California's authorized $31 million in tax incentives. So I believe that it's pretty clear that this company has got a lot more than just hope, that they got a lot of cash. The IPO is expected next week. Subsequent trading should provide a little glimpse of how the public is buying the story or not. They hope to raise $185 million. They're going to sell 11 million shares at $14 to $16 each. So what does an IPO at? It could be 20, it could be 25, it could be 30. It's really tough to imagine that it's not going to get some sort of zing to it. Now, the company hasn't made any money yet. Everything's on the come. It's hinged completely on the Model S. And there's talk about you know selling that for about forty thousand. They're building the, the facility in Fremont. People are scratching their heads because it involves the cost of dealing with you know United Auto Workers labor. So the plant's got a troubled history in, in in recent years, to say the least. A lot of people believe in green cars, but will they be interested in the stock? And will they be interested in this green car? So if the company can bring the car to the market at the right price, if we can feel that there's some durability, if we feel that the service can be held, you know. $185 million is a drop in the bucket for what the company ultimately needs. They're going to have to come out longer term and get more money. So Tesla talked about the competition. You know, General Motors and Toyota, they've both invested well over a billion dollars in electric cars. And again, Tesla's asking $480 million. General Motors and Toyota have been around for a long time. And they, they've already sunk a billion dollars into electric cars. So it, it seems to strike me as I don't think it's going to be as easy for Tesla to become a standalone company, you know, I, sure, they're going to have great product. Uh, a lot of them, though, have limited electric powertrain experience. Uh, very few, you know, uh, this company's never faced financial pressures, you know, that will, you know, hit the commitment to the electric car or not. Nice thing about Honda is, is at some point in time when the economy is growing again, they could start selling the SUVs that get 14 miles a gallon because people feel good about the economy. Who cares? It's burn through that oil, baby. So proprietary... Technology is all nice and with good with Tesla. I have problems. I think it's going to need ultimately about a billion dollars to be competitive with the big boys, and they're only getting about $200 million. So I'm going to throw out caution. I will say this with the IPO. I think the IPO could work for you in a sexy kind of way. Um, I think there could be some momentum to it. I won't put my money into it. I'm a little bit too cautious, too nervous to do that. 
Um, no way will I do that. So um, I think it's going to be a momentum play. It's not going to be a fundamental play. To get your calls in there. It's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. So one of the bigger stories right now is budget cuts. And budget cuts basically means public employees getting less. For instance, the San Francisco Unified School District, their cuts are going to be pretty impact, impacting. So let me give you some ideas of their, their deficit's about $113 million. And that's just the school district of San Francisco. So, again, let me throw that number out there, $113 million. In order to save some money, listen to some of these cuts, $5.7 million for four furlough days off for all staff. So... That's a day where they're not going to pay people. Staff isn't going to come in. It's interesting to note that that's like you making $50,000 a year, and then, well, your daily rate's, what, about $200? So you really only make 49800 So that's a, a way for San Francisco to save $5.7 million. Another $5.2 million to try to reduce central office expenditures. Another $3.5 million in cuts for fewer paid professional development hours for teachers. Another $1.9 million uh, cuts in arts and physical education, counseling funds to close the deficit. That's an interesting one, counseling funds to close the deficit. Another $1.4 million uh, in cuts for summer school. No summer school for most students. That's tough. Tough luck. You're on your own. Another $2.9 million to, to reduce facility expenses. Another $1 million so that teachers don't get paid sabbaticals. Another $1.2 million for state funding for teachers' training to close deficits. And another $1.25 million in school bus services reduction for general education students. So a lot of things that were there now being cut. That's a lot of money. That's only about $25 million for a deficit that's well over $113 million. So it's still a problem. It is still a problem. To get your calls on the air, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Five six three nine calls on the air. I'll monitor the the situation between Obama and the general. And if uh, there's any big breaking news, I'll let you know about it. Eight hundred three four five five six three nine. Rob Black and your money nine ten a.m. More stimulating talk. Don't know what to do with your money? He does. Rob Black. One eight hundred three four five five six three nine on nine ten a.m. More stimulating talk. Holy mackerel, I'm watching Cron 4 right now to see if Obama's going to step out and give a little speech about relieving McChrystal of his job. President Obama has relieved General McChrystal of his command of the U.S. United States Afghanistan forces. As expected, President Obama has been reportedly replacing him with uh, General Petraeus. Uh, but wow, Cron's got a traffic girl on who's just a mess. Her hair is it's like Morgana, like it's awful. Anyway, that's... Uh, that's your update. If uh, President Obama has anything to say about it, we'll probably cut it live just a couple minutes to see what he has to say. Because, uh, again, you know, war has a, a big play on investments. So there's uh, Lockheed Martin. There's General Dynamics. There's, you know, Boeing. There's big, big plays here. Plus, there's the price of oil. And will we ever get out of this political war? Something that Obama said he was going to do. And now we're mired in it. And it's getting worse and worse. It's one of the worst uh, months ever in Afghanistan as far as violence goes. And. The, the things that you want to see improving aren't improving. So it's uh, quickly turning into another Vietnam of sorts in the United States where 
Uh, we just can't quite figure it out. Uh, we don't want to be too mean and nasty, and they don't want to comply. It's a problem. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. Let's go to Tom in San Jose. Tom? Hey, Rob. So where uh, were you? Where were you when you found out General McChrystal was relieved of his command on this historic day? I was on the Rob Black show. There you go. <laughs> there you go. What's up, Tom? I can do a promo for you. No problem. I'd love that. <laughs> hey, so the latest information that I've heard about Tesla listening to car shows on the weekend, there's a couple of guys out of the valley over there that do a car show. Uh, the, the, the chief, whatever, the owner of Tesla, whatever, the CEO, whatever the guy is, uh, he's $12 million in personal debt. No banks will loan him money because he's going through a divorce. And in the divorce proceedings, it's, he's claiming that in order for him and his wife to function and for him to pay child support, his payments are going to be around 249000 a month. Wow. Yeah, so I, I, it sounds like, uh, can you say DeLorean? <laughs> you can say DeLorean. Remember okay. the DeLorean cars? Absolutely. I've had a couple. You did not. Did you really? Yeah, no big deal. So They're just, they're just a uh, cute-looking Volvo is all they are. Okay. And they're not a good investment. You want to talk about investments. DeLorean's not the car to get for money. So, DeLorean. Uh, I, do you know where DeLoreans were made? Yes, uh, Ireland. Ireland, which is, again, a lot of people would never think Ireland is a, a car-building country. Well, they were, but during that time, see, they, uh, they were in, uh, not a depression, but they weren't doing very well financially. So they offered him the plant for virtually nothing for him to come and build cars there. So he Because the cost of... Um, Labor at that time was really low in Ireland. It was a time machine and back to the future, and car never really caught on because it was a lot of fiberglass. It was uh, pretty cheaply made. No, 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 not fiberglass. Aluminum. Very difficult. They, in fact, what happened was, excuse me, stainless steel, they didn't use paint jobs. He thought he'd save some money, and he, he would buff out the stainless so it was a nice and shiny kind of a brush look. So whenever you got an offender bender or whatever, it was almost impossible to fix and polish the two fenders and or body parts the same. Interesting. So that's why it failed on the uh, consumer front. Besides, it was powered by Volvo, which was a dog in those years. Good stuff. Good knowledge, Tom. And uh, thanks for the insight on the IPO coming up very soon, Tesla. Let the buyer beware on that investment. I'm not going to confirm nor deny Tom's story about the divorce and the the the, the mama's baby needing $247,000 a month in child support. I don't know. I'll be quite honest with you. I'd marry my boss. I'd, I'd marry a man if I can get $247,000 in child support. I'm all about that kind of uh, lifestyle. Heidi's put on her headphones. She has something to say. Uh, Shh. We wait with bated breath. Hi. Um, Elon Musk is his name. Um, so the dude comes and this, I don't know if this matters or not, in a divorce, but his family has a buttload of money. I mean, that's why he was able to start Tesla Motors in the first place. Um, he has tons of money and his family has tons of money. So I don't know if like that factors into the divorce and how it factors into the company. Um, but why would you be getting um, your, why would your divorce settlement have anything to do with um, the numbers for the company? I don't know. You tell me. Well, in this case, uh, if we were to believe the caller, which I'm not doubting his credibility, but uh, needlessly, I know nothing about Elon Musk and his, his marital situation. But uh, if he is $12 million in debt, one of the things he's going to do is start selling some shares of the company as soon as he can. So he raises $185 million, but he sells, he might, let's say, own 30% of the company, and he sells 30 million shares, and that's a sell, 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 sell. 
and you know the market's made up of buyers and sellers and uh, winners and losers, and that's a lot of people selling. So um, that would be the concern is that he's got financial constraints that's going to a stop him from being focused on his company, um, and b he would probably have to raise some shares. Now again, I don't know if this is true or not true. I'm just going with the conversation. Eight hundred three four five five six three nine to get your calls in there. Let's go to Keith in San Jose. Keith. Hey Rob, how you doing? Good. You own a DeLorean? Um, no, I do not. Um, and I've heard nothing but bad things about the motors and everything about them. Okay, you a car dude? You an enthusiast? Absolutely. Okay. That's one area where I fail miserably. I couldn't tell you if I've got a six-cylinder, a ten-cylinder. I couldn't tell you if i got a lawnmower engine. Like, I know nothing about cars. I'm the epitome of a motorhead. If and it has gasoline, I love it. Really? Yeah. So do you watch all the shows on uh, all the cable networks on souping up your, tricking up your ride? Absolutely. Just to get, uh, make sure I'm on top of the high technology kind of stuff on the cars and stuff. Many, many years ago when I was a younger man, I, I had a hoopty mobile so I could score with the ladies. What would the definition of a hoopty mobile be for you? I, I don't know. I was just trying to be cool. <laughs> so I was trying to show you that I, I have got some, some swagger in my step and I absolutely do. Can I ask you don't. a question? Go ahead. Would you really marry a man for $250,000 a year or a month? I mean, yeah. Wow. Absolutely. I've got my price, and that kind of lifestyle is good. There's more to life than money. Well, you can have affairs. You can set up things. I, I don't No, 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 no. There's more to life than money? What planet are you from? Like, uh, are you a hippie? It, but, you know, that's why I'm calling you, because money is important, but 250 to marry a dude? I don't know. I'd say I'd go for a nice feminine-looking dude. <laughs> oh, that one singer, what's his name? Uh, that young little kid who can't sing or dance? Um, Justin Bieber. Oh, yeah, now you're, there you go. That's just wrong. He's underage. I'm not going. I'm not going in that direction. But uh, good. You have some standards. That's good to hear. Let's move forward. Um, I went and met with Pat Fatucci, a CFP, and he was recommending Korean Investments for my ETF fund manager at three and a quarter percent. What do you think about that? I'm not a big fan of Pat Fatucci. Um, not a fan of his work. Not a fan of his business model. Um, it seems to be heavy transaction oriented and high commission oriented. Um, he pays for a radio show, which I think loses credibility as because ultimately when you pay three, four hundred dollars an hour, you have to try to recoup that money. So, um, I'm not a big fan. Okay. Um, could you recommend a CFP for me in the local area? Sure. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, drop me an email and I'll fire an email back at you. But, you know, I'm looking for your age, your income, your assets, your liabilities, your time frame marital status, health, kids, uh, goals. Uh, if you could okay. put that together in an email, I'll, I'll gladly set you up with someone that uh, is, is low commission, not commission-driven, not insurance products-driven. Um, yeah, and that's another thing. He, all, he was pushing all this life insurance and all this other stuff on me, which is important, but I didn't meet, for him. I didn't meet with him to hear that. Yeah, and again, that's how he makes his money, and I'm not going to discourage him on it. It's just, I'll be honest with you, that I've seen... You shake a stick and or you hit a stick at a tree and you're going to you know hit a couple better financial people in the world. Um, I'm just not impressed with them. And again, that's just me being honest and uh, I'm not bashing them. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call, Keith. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Coming up, I'm going to have some emails for you, but a big question for you. New York City smokers, they pay the most for cigarettes in the nation. But a new state law is going to push the taxes even higher. Their state legislature just approved a bill adding an additional state tax of a buck sixty to every pack sold. Pack of cigarettes. Guess what it is in, in New York City? It's eleven bucks for a pack. 
That's crazy. The city pays about five eighty five per pack in taxes. So crazy. Almost six dollars of taxes. Eight hundred three four five five six three nine. Rob Black and your money. Nine ten AM. More stimulating to talk. Is bigger than any one man. We're jumping into President Obama as he's talking about relieving General General McChrystal of his command of the United States Afghanistan forces as expected. President Obama has reportedly replaced him with General Petraeus. Let's listen in now. The conduct represented in the recently published article does not meet the standard that should be set by a commanding general. It undermines the civilian control of the military that is at the core of our democratic system. And it erodes the trust that's necessary for our team to work together to achieve our objectives in Afghanistan. My multiple responsibilities as Commander-in-Chief led me to this decision. First, I have a responsibility to the extraordinary men and women who are fighting this war and to the democratic institutions that I've been elected to lead. I've got no greater honor than serving as Commander-in-Chief of our men and women in uniform. And it is my duty to ensure that no diversion complicates the vital mission that they are carrying out. That includes adherence to a strict code of conduct. The strength and greatness of our military is rooted in the fact that this code applies equally to newly enlisted privates and to the general officer who commands them. That allows us to come together as one. That is part of the reason why America has the finest fighting force in the history of the world. It is also true that our democracy depends upon institutions that are stronger than individuals. That includes strict adherence to the military chain of command and respect for civilian control over that chain of command. And that's why, as Commander-in-Chief, I believe this decision is necessary to, to hold ourselves accountable to standards that are at the core of our democracy. Second, I have a responsibility to do what is, whatever is necessary to succeed in Afghanistan and in our broader effort to disrupt, dismantle, and defeat al-Qaeda. I believe that this mission demands unity of effort across our alliance and across my national security team. And I don't think that we can sustain that unity of effort and achieve our objectives in Afghanistan without making this change. That, too, has guided my decision. I've just told my national security team that now is the time for all of us to come together. Doing so is not an option, but an obligation. I welcome debate among my team, but I won't tolerate division. All of us have personal interests. All of us have opinions. Our politics often fuels conflict. But we have to renew our sense of common purpose and meet our responsibilities to one another and to our troops who are in harm's way and to our country. We need to remember what this is all about. Our nation is at war. We face a very tough fight in Afghanistan. But Americans don't flinch in the face of difficult truths or difficult tasks. We persist and we persevere. We will not tolerate a safe haven for terrorists who want to destroy Afghan society from within and launch attacks against innocent men, women, and children in our country and around the world. 
So make no mistake, we have a clear goal. We are going to break the Taliban's momentum. We are going to build Afghan capacity. We are going to relentlessly apply pressure on al-Qaeda and its leadership, strengthening the ability of both Afghanistan and Pakistan to do the same. That's the strategy that we agreed to last fall. That is the policy that we are carrying out in Afghanistan and Pakistan. In that effort, we are honored to be joined by allies and partners who have stood by us and paid the ultimate price through the loss of their young people at war. They are with us because the interests and values that we share and because this mission is fundamental to the ability of free people to live in peace and security in the 21st century. And General Petraeus and I were able to spend some time this morning discussing the way forward. I'm extraordinarily grateful that he has agreed to serve in this new capacity. It should be clear to everybody he does so at great personal sacrifice to himself and to his family. And he is setting an extraordinary example of service and patriotism by assuming this difficult post. Let me say to the American people, this is a change in personnel, but it is not a change in policy. General Petraeus fully participated in our review last fall, and he both supported and helped design the strategy that we have in place. In his current post at Central Command, he has worked closely with our forces in Afghanistan. He has worked closely with Congress. He has worked closely with the Afghan and Pakistan governments and with all our partners in the region. He has my full confidence. And I am urging the Senate to confirm him for this new assignment as swiftly as possible. Let me conclude by saying that it was a difficult decision to come to the conclusion that I've made today. Indeed, it saddens me to lose the service of a soldier who I've come to respect and admire. But the reasons that led me to this decision are the same principles that have supported the strength of our military and our nation since the founding. So once again, I thank General McChrystal for his enormous contributions to the security of this nation and to the success of our mission in Afghanistan. You've been hearing President Obama as he explains relieving General McChrystal of his duties in Afghanistan and the war and replacing him with General Petraeus, who is well-known and well-liked in that category. Let's head back to break, and when we come back, we'll be taking your phone calls and talking monies and markets, 800-345-5639, Rob Black and your money. This is Rob Black and your money on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. And now, Rob Black. A couple ways you can interact with the show. You can drop me an email, rob at robblack.com, rob at robblack.com. I have a Facebook page that I'm going to go check in just a moment. But uh, you can also call the show, 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. The Facebook page, for those of you who care, is I Hate Rob Black. It's a group. So you go join the group, I Hate Rob Black, and you can post stuff there. And you know sometimes I'll read it on the air. Sometimes I'll just respond to it right then and there. So um, I'd love to hear from you. And with that said, let's do an email or two with... Producer and talent extraordinaire, Heidi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I had a fight yesterday with someone in sales on whether or not you're talent. She's like, no, she's a producer. I'm like, no, she's talent. People know her. They love her. I'm a very talented producer. 
Well said. So uh, we don't have a lot of time here. So no, we don't. Those. Let's bust this out. Okay, so um, listener Cindy wrote you an email, um, and she's very polite. She says, good morning. My husband and I are in our mid-50s, combined income of approximately 130 grand annually. Um, first mortgage, 94K. Second mortgage, 24K. Uh, zero balance on credit cards and no car payments. You... Um, the usual monthly bills. Okay, so she gives you all the details. Um, we've built up a comfortable retirement fund. Um, here's the question. Would it be prudent to go into debt at our age for approximately 85K? We want to purchase some undeveloped land in California. Um, we've always talked about it for retirement, investment, and security purposes. Please advise when you have a chance. Thanks. Well, Cindy, your situation's interesting. I'm not a big fan of undeveloped land, and the reason I'm not a big fan of undeveloped land is it just sits there undeveloped. She mentioned that she wanted to do it um, for retirement, investment, and security purposes. Be careful. Um, it's not an investment. It's a liability. As you said, you're going to spend you know, $85,000 and you've got to make a monthly payment. Uh, you have no way of getting money out of it. You can't rent it out because it's just land. You're going to build a property on it later. If you've got probably north of a million dollars for your nest egg, I got no problem with you doing it, but it's not an investment. It's a liability, and I don't quite get the security purposes unless she's going to build a bunker and, and, and have guns there. I don't see the security of it. I'm not a big fan of undeveloped land. I think if she wants to buy a place in Tahoe that her and her hubby could you know, retire in, great, great. Rent it out for now. Move into it later. Love the idea, especially if you've got a million plus, but... I don't see it. Um, I don't like undeveloped land because you have to pay taxes on it and you got to pay the mortgage on it. And the mortgage rates are much higher because there's no land on it. So it's not, Cindy, it's not an investment. It's a liability. And I've got a quick question regarding that. I actually, too, I've always dreamed of owning some land somewhere in like Northern California. Um, always thought, you know, you could go camp on it, maybe build a little cabin. Um, just be nice to have some property. So I've always felt like that would be a fun idea. Um, what... I understand the, but all the things you said are very practical. But what about the idea that it's just going to, over probably a long time, increase in value, and maybe you could sell it at a profit? Maybe, maybe not. Um, it depends on where you buy the land. A lot of people think that we're not building land anymore, and we actually are because what we're doing is we're closing down military bases and turning that into property. Um, if you were to buy land, say in Tahoe, I think that's great. But why not just go ahead and develop it, or why not buy a piece of cabin with land under it? Um, I don't see the point of developing it later because it's just a huge liability. And uh, mathematically, there's no sense in it. Now, if, for instance, you happen to be on the Transportation Board of California and you know that that high-speed rail's coming and it's going to be stopping in Eureka. And you know Eureka is now going to have all these jobs tied towards high-speed rail and it's going to be a destination and it's going to turn into a camping zone. It's going to turn into a vacation land. Um, then maybe you could buy some land in anticipation of something coming, but I still don't see it as an investment. And Heidi, when you want a cabin, just go buy a cabin and get the land underneath it. Uh, that's my advice. And, and, and I understand why you want to buy land in the woods so you could, you know, plant a lot of marijuana. I get it. I get it. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The 
explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.